Welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message. So excited we're starting a new series today and so I just want to dive straight to it. Um, listen, I just want to, as we get going, I need you to help me with something because I want to, I want to know if you remember uh, the song that the seven dwarfs sing in the movie Snow White, the Disney movie Snow White. Do you, do you remember the song that I'm talking about? Yes. It goes hi-ho, do you know, do you know that one? Yeah. All right, so, so would you do me a favor please? Would you, since they, they put you to sleep with that insatiable groove, would you, would you sing the song with me a little bit here? Can you just sing it once? Do you mind? Do you mind helping with me? Is that okay? Yeah. Okay, so, so, so uh, we'll just kind of start and we'll sing it together and you just sing it good, loud, and strong. Okay, here we go. It goes, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's... Yeah, I can't whistle, so... Okay, yeah, that's good. That's good. Actually, that was, that was actually not good. That was really bad, but... Now, now, I, now, I want you to sit back for a second because I'm going to blow your mind. Did you know that you just sang that song incorrectly? You all sang the wrong words to that song. Because the song actually is, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's home from work we go. Some of you are depressed, you need counseling because your childhood just got ruined. Everything is a lie. You don't even, you don't believe me. I've got, I've got the clip. I've got it right here. Here it is. Watch this. Okay. I didn't want to do that to you. I, that is not edited. I'm not. <laughs> that's no trickery. That is directly from the movie. That is the words to that song. I'm sorry that I've disrupted your worldview, but it's true. Now, most of us mistakenly, we thought that song was about going off to work. Why do we think that? Well, I think we mostly think that because that's what we do in America. We go to work. I'm busy. I got stuff to do. I got to go and get the job done. But that song is actually about going home from work after a long and satisfying day of labor. And some of you are like, well, the beginning of the song says off. No, it doesn't. It says that the entire time. So just like we all misunderstood what that song says about work, I actually believe that we, most of us, misunderstand what God has to say about work. Most of us are a little askew in our theology about work and what God is doing. Most people that I talk to about work, they, they all have the same relationship with work. Hey, man, how's work going? Oh, you know, you know, man, work is work, right? Oh, yeah, you know, man, it's all right. It's okay. I, you know, work pays the bills like that. Those are the responses that I get most of the time. But actually, work is so much more. And it's so important, actually, that we wanted to launch into a new series for a few weeks and talk about what the Bible has to say about work. Now, let's just break this down as we get started, because we all have the same number of hours during the day. Everybody's got the same 24 hours that we're working with, and so the average person sleeps eight hours per night. I've got a graph here to kind of get us started. 
the average person sleeps about eight hours per night. I know some of you are like, well, that ain't me. But, but, but mo- most people, the national average is eight hours. And the, the average is, uh, for work is about eight hours a day, right? So, so most people work eight hours a day. Again, some of you, I think we've got a second graph here for that. Yep. All right, so, so most of you are thinking, yeah, way more than that for me, and I understand, but we're talking about averages. But then you've got to add in the average commute. You've got to figure out the drive back and forth. And so the average in the Austin region is 25.6 minutes one way. All right, so you've got to add in the commute there. I know many of you have more than that. If you're going from Kyle, it's probably 35 or 40 minutes or much more. But the national average is 30 minutes. All right, you with me so far? Yep. Then you've got to add in all the time that you spend exercising. Yeah, okay. Well, that was pretty easy to do. There's, it's none, so that's pretty... But they say the national average, the national average is one hour per day. I don't know where those people are. But I know that people like Alicia are taking up the average for all of us slackers. All right, so thank you for what you're doing and picking that up for me. I appreciate it. Making me seem like I'm healthier than I am. And then you've got all your to-dos, right? You've got groceries, you've got cleaning, you've got the wash, you've got mowing the grass, all that stuff. And the national average for that is two hours a day, all your to-do lists. And so what that leaves for us is four hours a day that's just for you. It's where you get to choose and you just get to do whatever you want to do. And I think we all know how we spend those four hours. Netflix, Netflix. social media, on our phones, Watching TV, most of us do it that way. So as we start this series today, let's call the combination of your job, your commute, your exercise, your to-do list, let's call all of that work. All right, can we settle on that? That's going to be work for us. So by that definition, that means that half of your day is about work. And that's including the sleep hours. Half of your day is about doing work. Sociologists say that over your entire life, you probably, most people spend about a third of their lives working. Spend about a third of your life actually working. There's a huge chunk of that committed to sleeping. And so work actually gets kind of the lion's share of our lives. And this is bad news. For some of you, it's really bad news because you hate your job. Work is the worst. I don't like going. Like You're dreading already. You're sitting in this service and you've already been thinking, oh, tomorrow's coming. <laughs> Do you remember that feeling from school? Like you get out at like three o'clock on Friday and you're like, oh, woohoo, the weekend's here. And then you're having fun on Saturday. And then Saturday night, you're kind of like, oh, Monday's coming pretty soon. And then it goes up into Sunday. And by Sunday afternoon, you're like, oh, you're so depressed. This is the relationship that many of you have with work because you hate it. And all day long, you're there at work and you're looking at your clock just thinking, I can't wait to get out of here. But for others of us, that's not how we view work at all. Actually, for others of us, we view work in a much different way. To us, work is a God. Like work is, is it's the greatest thing. Work is where I get my meaning and satisfaction in my life. Work is where I, I get my identity from. I mean, I'm Dr. Parsley. Would you like a business card? I'm a designer, but I'm, I'm an architect. I'm a teacher. That's, that's me. That's who I am. Work is where I get my self-worth, and actually it's where I validate my existence. This is my job. This is who I am. Work is actually, for many of us, where we, where we worship. And what I mean by that is it's where we make the most sacrifices. Because yeah. I'm willing to sacrifice my time, my health, 
I sacrificed my energy. I sacrificed my marriage. I sacrificed my kids. All on the altar of worship. And that's a problem. So, so the Bible tells a much different story than those two stories. And the Bible actually has a lot to say about work and how work should operate in our lives. And so I want to try to build a foundation for us here this morning that we'll build on over the next several weeks. So go to Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 1. If you've got your Bibles, you can open them. If you use your phone, turn them on. You can look up here at the screen. Genesis 1, 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So it's pretty incredible because the first picture that we have from God, the very first verse in the Scriptures the very first picture we get of God is, is that he's working. He is at work. He's creating. He's designing. He's building. He's, he's an architect. He's, he's kind of engineering and inventing. He's sculpting his world. And then as you go down and keep reading, in verse 26 it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness to represent us in the earth. Let's make mankind in our image so that they may rule. Over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, this word rule in the Hebrew, it's interesting because it means just that. It means to rule. It means to reign. It means to have dominion over. Now, this is, this is crazy language because this is king's language. This is kings and queens kind of language that God is giving to us. In other words, human beings, God created them to be essentially the kings and queens of the world. And everybody said, amen. I like that idea. Kings and queens of the world reigning over creation. And so while you're working, this is the kind of thoughts you should be having. Dude, I am ruling over these spreadsheets right now. I am ruling over this espresso shot right now. I am just crushing it. I have total dominion over this diaper that I'm changing right now. And for some of those, you really need dominion. Keep going in verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. I just want you to notice that the first thing that God does is he blesses them. Right out of the gate. This is what he does. Right at the beginning, at the start, God blesses because that's just what God is like. God just blesses. So what is that first blessing? Well, verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. That word subdue in the Hebrew, it means to wrestle with to get your hands on, to, to wrestle with it, and to wring some profit out of it. To wring profit from it. Are you seeing the picture here? God designed us as kings and queens. His, the, his image in the earth, and there's so much to that that we don't have time for today, hopefully in the coming weeks. Kings and queens ruling and reigning over his great earth, wrestling with it, wringing out profit from it. And of course, I'm, I'm not talking about things like, you know, being irresponsible with natural resources and things like that, but taking what we've been given, wrestling with it, wringing profit out of it, and making it better. Now check this out. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. To work it. I like the way you work it. Not that. Not that. Was that, impro was that improper for church? That was probably, should have no dignity in the church. It's not a, let's just... Let's just, straight, let's just stay. Let's just, 
Maria, I'm not going to sing that here again. That's weird. <laughs> to work it, like to, now it's ruined. <laughs> I was like, oh, the mental imagery. To work it and to, and to take care of it. But I just want you, to, I want you to focus on that word, to actually to work the earth, to take care of the earth. One of the first pictures then we get of human beings is that he's working. He's working, he's ruling, he's reigning, he's subduing. He's wrestling with God's creation to create a space for human beings to flourish in it. This is what God designed for us. So I want you to notice two things out of all of that. The first is that humans were just created to work. Like, I'm sorry, that's bad news for some people, but humans were created to work. Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the earth. We're going to make them in our image, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in our image so that they may work, so that they may rule fish in the sea and birds in the sky. You were made to work, everybody. You were made to do it. Let's make mankind in our image so that they may do it. That means it's in your bones. It's in your DNA. It's just a part of who you are. It's central to your humanity. I know many of you are like, well, I would hope retirement was central to my humanity. I hope that winning the lottery was central to my DNA. Like, that's what I, that's what I had planned. But when, when you first meet somebody, what's the first question that you ask them? Hey, what do you do? What's the first thing that we say to elementary school kids? Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do? And I think there's a myth that floats around the church, and it kind of says, well, it doesn't really matter. The only thing that's really important is who you are, brother. It's who you are, sister. And what you do is really not that important. Now, it's true. It's true that, 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 uh, that who you are is incredibly important. Character is absolutely important. It's a must. We should all be growing in godliness all the time. But what you do matters too. Because actually, what you do for work, it's central to your role as an image bearer of the living God. It's central to this. So this is the part of the reason why unemployment is so gut-wrenching for people. It's why some people retire early and they're disappointed and they feel let down and they feel frustrated and unhappy. Because when you stop working, you stop being fully the human being that God created you to be. And you stop being fulfilled because you were created to do work. And the second thing I want you to notice is that work is actually a blessing. It's not a curse. Whoa, hold up. Hold up, pastor. That's not true. I grew up in the church. Work is the curse. Eve did the thing with the apple and we all got cursed. Thanks a lot. No, that's not how the story goes actually at all. Work is a blessing. Work is not a curse. Work is actually the first blessing in this story. And if you keep reading your Bible, you're going to see a whole list of blessings, of course, that that God has for all of us. But the first one is work. And I can hear some of you already saying it. Yeah, okay, whatever. Fine. But listen, you're a pastor, all right? You don't know what it's like out here. Like you work one day a week. You work, you work a little bit on Sunday. Ooh, that's so hard. You get paid to read your Bible and drink coffee all day. I know how it works. You get to work with incredible people every day and have meetings with awesome, godly people. Yo, I got to work with David Campos every day. What, are you kidding me? Streets are rough. I mean, it's, it's hard out there. So some of you are like, but I, I got to work with horrible people. Like, I... I, I'm out there. It's hard. People are mean and they're rude and selfish. They're just swearing all day long and I don't like the environment. I got to be out there and work when it's 150 degrees. I still got to do my job. 
I got to work with people who yell. They're never satisfied. They complain about everything. I hate my job. And I get that, actually. In fact, studies say that 43% of Americans are unhappy with their jobs. There was actually another study that I read that said 77% of Americans are unhappy with their jobs. Either way, whatever number you choose, that number is rising every year. And there's a lot of reasons for this. But I think one of the major reasons is what happens next in our story. And of course, most of you know, uh, the serpent comes, tempts Eve, and so she takes a bite of the apple, she offers it to Adam, Adam eats, and so God enters the scene. In Genesis 3, verse 17, we read, To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree, about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Did you see what happened there, though? God cursed the ground. Like, the blessing is that God created human beings to rule over the earth with him to partner with him in bringing his earth to help people flourish. It's an amazing thing. But the curse is, now the ground's hard. Now there's going to be some painful toil. In other words, the blessing is cursed. And so what's happened now is that humans need to be saved. Humans needed some rescuing. And to put it bluntly, you need to be saved. And, and I, I need to be saved. All of us need to be put back, made right made right with the creator and with his creation. And that's exactly why God steps into the story. He shows up on the scene and he steps in not as a cloud, not as a fire, not as, a, not as an angel, but he steps in as a human himself. And he comes into the earth. What is he doing? Well, he's doing what Adam was supposed to do the whole time, to rule over the earth, to make the earth right to bring everything, redeem everything, put everything back together in relationship with him and to put you back into the spot that God made for you, to make you right. This is why Jesus came. And it's what he calls you to do to partner with him in what he's doing. See, work is so much more than many of you have given it credit for. So jump forward with me to the New Testament and look at Ephesians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul, he's talking about all this kind of issues. He's talking about creation. He's talking about the fall. He's talking about sin. And he talks about how in the light of Jesus, there's an interplay now between salvation and work. And most of you are familiar with Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Here we go. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Check out what Paul is doing here in verse 10. He's retelling the Genesis story that we were just reading. And this word, handiwork, in Greek, it's poema. And this word, it's where we get the word poem or poetry. And so actually, Paul is clearly, he's referring back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, the poem that we read where God created them male and female. He's calling that back and he's saying, Jesus saved you so that you could be put back into right relationship with creator God. And so that you could be put back to work in his creation. Yeah. This actually should be good news. And then he makes this stunning statement, 
For we're God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what are those good works? Well, part of those good works is, in fact, your work. It is what you're doing currently. And here's some definitions about work from people who are way smarter than me. Work is the gracious expression of Yahweh's creative energy in service of others to create shalom. Shalom, of course, meaning peace, well-being, health, and prosperity. That's from Gary Brashears. He's the head of theology at Western Seminary. From John Stott, who's an English Anglican priest and theologian, work is the expenditure of energy, manual or mental or both, in the service of others, which bring fulfillment to the worker and benefit to the community and glory to God. This is really the picture that we need to start having. And then from Tim Keller, incredible pastor and author, work is rearranging the raw materials of a particular domain to draw out its potential for the flourishing of everyone. I love that so much. Rearranging the raw materials of a particular domain because you can just do that anywhere. Those of you who, who are, are you may be a barista and, and that's what you do. You take some raw materials, beans and hot water and this machine and you kind of work and you pull all that out and you extra- extract this nectar of heaven for all of us to consume and be able to go work and do our job for the day. Thank God for you. Oh, God bless you. Rearranging it. So it stands to reason now, if there's, if there's good work, then there's also work that's not good. Right? There's work that's just purely evil. There's work that brings destruction to people. But there is also good, godly work. And in fact, Paul says God created good works in advance for you to do them and just to walk in them. And the, words that, the word that theologians use to walk in that kind of work is vocation. Most of you are familiar with that word, but theologians use this word vocation. And I think, everybody, it's a word that we've got to recapture. Because when I say vocation, most of you think occupation. You just think it's one or the other. But actually, I, I think there's a difference in these two words. Occupation is what you do to make a living. That's just your job. And you may love your job or you may absolutely hate your job. But vocation is your calling from God. Vocation is your calling from God. And it might be your occupation, and that's the hope, that's the goal, but it might not be your occupation today. And that's something that we're all going to have to wrestle through. But this word vocation, it comes from the, this Latin word. It's a, a vocatio, and it means a call, a summons. So vocation, I think, could be described as work that fits you, helps others, and glorifies God. Your calling in life from God It fits you, it helps others, and it glorifies God. Think about it. When God calls you to something, something happens. Number one, it just fits you. It just makes sense. And like, there should be moments where you're doing this thing where you feel like, man, I'm really good at this. Not prideful way or not in an arrogant way at all, but in a sense like, I was made for this. Like, this is what I'm on the planet to do. It just fits you. It's in your DNA. It fits your personality. It fits your gifts. It fits your talents. Then work that helps others. It fits you, it helps others. It's work that creates a world where other people can thrive around you, where other people can live in God's presence with you. And just think about how big that umbrella is. It doesn't mean you have to do what I'm doing. It means you can do whatever you're doing and you can still provide a place where other people can thrive. You don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to be a Supreme Court judge to do any of this. You can work on highways and you can do this. And you know what? We need more of you working on I-35 to do this because there is not a lot of flourishing out there right now. You can do this building houses. You can do this raising kids. 
You can do this as a barista. You can do this everywhere. And then finally, work that glorifies God. We're going to look at this more in the coming weeks, but for starters, it just means everything you do goes to Him and kind of makes His world right. It doesn't mean if you're a dentist that you're secretly etching John 3.16 onto every tooth. Ha <laughs> gotcha. I'm not talking about slipping things in like that. The short answer is glorifies God. You just work to reshape the world the way that He designed it to work. Because when the world functions the way that God intended for it to work, everybody looks at it, whether it's through art or music or technology or architecture, everybody looks at it and goes, ooh, that's right. It's just humming along. There's something good about that. It's beautiful. It tastes good. It's amazing. It's what it's supposed to do, and that's what it's supposed to be like. And with people who have eyes to see it, who gets the glory for all of that? God does. Not to me, but to him. So vocation, it's work that fits you, it helps others, it glorifies God. And remember, your vocation and your job aren't always the same. And so that might be something for you to consider if your occupation is something that that you feel like this is not what I'm really supposed to be doing. What is it then that might be your vocation? Pray, ask God, find places to start volunteering. That's why places like Team One are so important, where you just actually get to do something that really does these things. Fits you, it helps others. It glorifies God. So here's the problem. When I use this word vocation and calling, immediately for some of you, you just truncate it. You just already decide what it means. Oh yeah, I know how this works. God calls people to be pastors like you. God calls people to be, uh, to be missionaries. God calls people to, to do your, this Christian work like you do. But God doesn't call people to work at a bank. God doesn't call people to work as a, a, a landscaping architect. God doesn't call, that's not true. None of that is true. Actually, God does call all people to do all sorts of different things. For the vast majority of you, your calling is not in here. That's what everybody thinks. That's what you start to aspire to. Well, I don't, I don't think I could ever do anything great for God because I could never stand up on a stage and teach like you do. But you're totally missing the point. For 99% of us in this room, your calling is not this. Your calling is out there. It's outside the four walls of this church. When Paul says good works, we think, oh, teach the Bible in Sunday school. Preach on a Sunday morning. Pray for people in the middle aisle there like they do. Oh, it's so cool what they do. They do real work, real ministry. I don't. That is what you think. And though it may not be subconscious, many of you live your lives that way. No, you've got it all wrong. You're supposed to do all of that out there. All of that. Teach the Bible out there to your coworkers. Preach the gospel out there to people that you come into contact with. Pray with people in the cubicle next to you out there, not in here. Honestly, I walk in here and I get jealous of you often. I, I love what I do and I believe that I'm called to do it. But I would love to be out there doing, sitting in a cubicle and having a guy that I got to work with. I don't have the same experiences typically that you do. They come to me and sit in my office and we fight and it's awesome. you've got to adjust your thinking and see your work as your calling from God. You've got to get in a place where you can see your work as a calling from God. But there's two lies that we've got to expose really quick before we go to make sure that you can do that. To see your work as a calling from God. And the first lie is this, is that work is just a means to an end. Work is, that's all it is. It's a means to an end. And tons of people think this and mostly it comes from outside the church. I work just to work. I got to go to work to get this bread. That's what I got to do. I got to make some money. I got to, that's all I got to do. So you can pay the bills, have some money left and do what you want to do on the weekend. So 
the question is then, if you won the lottery today and you got $10 million, would you go back to work? Would you work? Now, most people are like, no. Are you crazy? What's wrong with you? And if that is your initial response, there is a good chance that you bought into the lie. That you don't have a good theology of work and the kind of work that God designed for you to have. That it's a beautiful thing and a blessing and you're partnering with God in the world to make everything right. This is the kind of work that we're called to. It's just not true. Money is just a byproduct of work. So the lie is, is that we work to live. But the truth is, we live to work. We live so that we can work and partner with God. The second lie, the final thing is, And this happens really mostly from inside the church. The first one kind of comes from outside the church, but this one comes from inside. And the lie is, is that the sacred and the secular, they're separate things. You got to split them up. The idea, the myth is, is that certain kinds of work are spiritual and good, and they matter to God, and they're important in eternity. But other kinds of work, like my job, it doesn't matter. It's not important. So what I'm doing right now on this stage, it's spiritual, and it really matters. Hallelujah, bless Jesus, glory to God. Yes, Lord. I got a little bit of that in my background. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to leave it alone. That's good advice. But, but, so what you're doing is spiritual, but slinging coffee, that's not spiritual. Cleaning houses, that's not spiritual. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? The service that, that you provide to people who are shut in, who can't do it, who can't take care of their own place, the blessing that you provide by making the place where they live, by making that space right for them every week, are you kidding me that that doesn't matter? That's, good. that's ridiculous. We can't keep separating these things, and that's what we want to do. Well, my work goes over here, and my church time goes over here. So what that means is, is that my marriage goes over here. Church goes over here. My kids, they go over here, but, 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 but my church goes over here, right? So, so my, job, my job is over here. Everything, all that stuff, it goes over here. My to-do list, my exercise, my commute, that all goes over here, and then I've got my church time over here. That is not the way that God intended it. And do you know what the real problem with that is? What that means, if we, if we separate our lives in that way, it means that you are ejecting God from the vast majority of things in your life that he doesn't have anything to say about any of that. And Jesus never designed for it to be that way at all. In fact, if you went up to Jesus and said, hey, how's your spiritual life? (laughs) This question that we ask each other from time to time, he would go, what? What? It didn't even make sense because actually the Hebrews, they didn't have any word for spiritual. Why? Because they were never separate. It was one life. One thing. God was doing one thing. So a better question is, hey, how is the Spirit of God working through your life, at your job, in your to-do list, in your marriage, in your exercise? Well, he hasn't gotten in there yet, but... (laughs) Why don't you guys come on up? The truth is, everybody, all of life is sacred, and all of it matters. All of your life is sacred, and all of it matters. And my hope for you is that you would decide today. I'm going to start looking at my work differently than I ever have before. 
And I know that for some of you, it's difficult for you. You're trying to figure out, well, how does that really work in light of eternity? And what can I really offer to people? And what can I really be doing to make things right in the world? And how can I partner with God in my job? And I don't know and I don't understand. I don't see it yet. I just want to challenge and encourage you. Start today to pray and ask him, how can I see differently? What are you doing at my work? Help me to have clarity into how this works. Help me to have clarity into what I'm really doing and see where you're at work in the earth and how I can participate with you in it. Would you just start making that switch today? I read one more more quote about work from this uh, pastor and author, Frederick uh, Buckner, and it says, Work is the place where your deep gladness meets the world's deep needs. That's vocation. That's calling. And I know that we're not all right there right now, but let's take the journey over the next several weeks. Let's get there. What if this week, tomorrow morning, instead of waking up and going, oh, oh, Monday morning. I hate Mondays. I'm telling you, Garfield just ruined us all. I'm showing my age, but, but Garfield ruined us all by making that a thing. What if instead of complaining about our work, we made the switch? God, what are you doing today? God, what are you doing today in Hayes High School? How can I partner with you? See some boys on a football team come to know you. God, where, where are you working today in the finance world? What, what, what can I do to help my clients see you more clearly and help them make their lives right and, and help their future be secure? What are you doing and how can I partner with you to do it? Kings and queens partnering with God, image of God in the earth, ruling, reigning, ringing profit from it. Oh, it's such a beautiful picture. It's that picture that we're going to try to define over the next several weeks. So why don't you close your eyes real quick. And I just want to ask you to respond to all of this, that's all. The reality is, is that for some of you, it's very difficult for you to see it this way because you don't really have much of a theology at all, and that's okay. I'm so thankful that you came to church today. I'm so glad that you're here. But you didn't quite realize just how much God loves you and just how much he actually had a plan for you and for your life, and it includes every facet of it. And the simple first step is just to say, God, I don't think I'm right with you the way that guy's talking about. And the great news is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into the earth freely and willingly to die on a cross, to shed his blood, to forgive all of your sins, and to allow you to come back to a relationship with God. All of us have sinned. All of us fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus, and that life is on offer to you right now. So if that's you and you want to make a decision today, I want to invite you just to say a simple prayer, and I'll I'll help you with the words. You just say right there from your chair, Jesus, forgive me. I want to give my life to you the way that guy's talking about. I want to know you the way that guy's talking about. I want the life that he's talking about. So I'm choosing today to believe in you, to believe that you died and rose again, 
and to believe you paid the price for my sin, and I want to receive that today. And so the best way I know how, I want to give you my life and start this journey, and I thank you for doing that in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, you can learn about groups, teams, and more at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30. See you next time.